Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. This is the word of God. Family, life is filled with uncertainty. There's a lot about life that is not certain, a lot we don't know, a lot we can't control. And that's right here in our text. I want to point you back to the verses that Melissa just read for us. Look at the end of verse 2. You know not what disaster may happen on earth. You know not. Look at the beginning of verse 5. You do not know the way. You don't know. Look at the end of verse 5. You do not know the work of God. Look at the end of verse 6. You do not know which will prosper. You hear the, the repetition? You know not. You do not know. You do not know. You do not know. There's a lot that we don't know. Amen? Amen. There's a lot that we can't control. This isn't just evident in our text. It's evident in life. There's always uncertainty. But right now, in 2020, that is much more evident. And that can be really scary. COVID. What will happen if I get COVID? Will there be long-term effects? What will happen if my grandfather or my grandmother gets COVID? Will there be a vaccine? If there is, will it work? Will it be available? School. What in the world should we do with school? Should kids go back? Should they stay home? What are the long-term effects of them staying at home? What are the long-term effects of them going to school? Politics. Who's going to be president? What's going to be the Senate? Will there be any 
collaboration between the parties? Can there be any collaboration between parties? And this is all in addition to the usual uncertainty of life. Some of you guys I know are asking questions like, where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? What should I do with my life? How can I possibly bring peace in this difficult relationship? That's real. There's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we can't control. Life is filled with uncertainty. Now, after this week, we're going to pause our study of Ecclesiastes so we can join with a bunch of churches around the world to celebrate the season of Advent. Now, Advent is a season of expectation and anticipation in which Christians prepare their hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to heal and to liberate. Jesus came to set an example for us of self-giving service. Jesus came to deal with our sin and to free us from slavery to sin and to death. When Jesus came, the unshakable, unfailing, matchless peace of God broke into a world of uncertainty and chaos and hevel. Hevel is that word that means smoke or vapor. Hevel is that word that is like something you grasp at but you can never quite catch. And the peace of God in Christ, the peace of God broke into the hevel to bring meaning and purpose and life. And when we commemorate Advent, we're commemorating the reality that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen. We're waiting for the second Advent in which Jesus is going to come back and set the world right. So next week, we start preparing our hearts to receive the gift of Jesus. But even today, we can start. Listen, the, the, the sage of Ecclesiastes has a good and timely word for us. Because Jesus came again... Or, or came once, he's coming again, which means we can live with hope. And the sage of Ecclesiastes is going to teach us how do we live in a world of uncertainty, in which everything feels like heaven, in which there's a lot of uncertainty. Well, let's dive into the first four verses of our text today. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 4 are all about how do you live in the midst of that uncertainty. And... The verses are somewhat complex, but the basic point is fairly simple. Life is filled with risk. You can't escape risk. Because the world is broken by sin, because we're still waiting for that second coming of Jesus to set all things right, there's risk everywhere. And for some people, that reality of risk is paralyzing. We get paralyzed by fear. We don't want to leave our house. We're just scared. We don't know what to do. But Ecclesiastes is saying that the reality of risk doesn't have to paralyze us because we know the God who holds past, present and future in his hands. We know the God of life so we can embrace the adventure of living. We don't have to pretend that there's no risk, but we can embrace the adventure of living and live with peace and joy and love and courage, even though there is risk and uncertainty everywhere. So it's saying 
Of course, things could go horribly wrong. But do good anyway. Be creative anyway. Build something beautiful with your life anyway. Care for people anyway, because the future is in the hands of God. In short, in the midst of the risk, everybody say, be courageous. Be courageous. Now, let me clarify from the beginning. Being courageous does not mean recklessly endangering your life or the life of others. That's right. Amen? Amen. Some of us like to think we're courageous when we're just being a fool. <laughs> so, that's, recklessly endangering life is always foolish. And seriously, recklessly endangering your life or the life of others isn't courageous. It's selfish and sinful. Okay? So courage does not mean recklessly endangering life. What courage means is doing good and pursuing goodness even when it's costly and scary and risky. And that's what this text is all about. We'll talk more about that in, in a minute. But first, let's just dive into the first verse. Verse 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, I remember the first time I read that verse, pausing and thinking, why would I want soggy bread in a few days? Like, what is this talking about? Turns out, this translation isn't a very good translation of the verse. Better translation is in the Net Bible. It says this, send your grain overseas, for after many days, you will get a return. Cast your bread upon the waters means send your grain that you harvested out on a ship to trade it, to make a financial investment. It's talking about maritime trade. Now, that still might sound foreign for some of us, so let me explain it. We're going to have to use our imaginations. Kids in the room got imaginations. You got an imagination, kids? Okay, several people said yes. Adults, you're going to have to find yours if you lost it. Imagine we lived 3,000 years ago, and we don't live in Oklahoma City. We live in a little village somewhere, a couple days' journey from Jerusalem. And we live in some sort of house that we built Maybe there's a little cluster of houses with our extended family, and we've got some land, and on our land we grow grain. We've probably got a few goats that we can use to make wool, and we can get goat's milk and that kind of a thing. And every year, our family, we work really hard, we plant the grain, and we harvest the grain, and we're doing all that work, and a lot of what we grow, we use to eat. We live on it. So say maybe if we're we're doing well, half the grain we grow each year, we're going to use it to feed our family, to make bread, to eat. All year. And with that together with goat's milk, we're going to survive. But the other half of our grain, we take it, walk to the market in the village, and we trade it with other people. Maybe somebody else needs grain, but they can give us shoes for our kids or whatever. We, we trade and get a few things. And between the grain that we eat and the grain that we're able to trade, we can make a living. But it's always precarious. Subsistence farming is always dangerous because all it takes is one early frost or one hailstorm. And you're in big trouble. But then one day you go to market. And at the market, there's a trader there who's not from your village. Who's coming and tells you about a merchant ship. And says, a hundred miles from here, there's a community that desperately needs grain. If you will send grain, I can get you a tenfold return on your investment. You can make a lot of profit. And then you could use that profit to help your family. To save for the future, to help the poor in your community. Maybe you could expand your farming operation and provide jobs for people. Maybe you can give some money to the local synagogue to help them buy scrolls. You could do a lot of good with that extra. But with that investment comes risk. You send your grain on that merchant ship and it travels that hundred miles. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe a storm's going to sink the ship. Maybe robbers are going to steal the grain. 
There's risk involved. And Ecclesiastes says, go ahead and send the grain. Send the grain. Take the risk. Go for it. Now, it's using this to be a metaphor for life. What, what is the point? Here's the point. Anything worthwhile that you're going to do in your life is going to involve risk and delayed gratification. But don't be paralyzed by fear. Long for goodness more than you fear failure. Somebody needs to hear that word today. Long for goodness. Long to do good and to build something beautiful more than you fear failure. Anything worthwhile in life is going to involve risk and delayed gratification. So if you send it with the merchant five times, maybe two times you will lose your investment. But if you get a tenfold return the other three times, there's a lot of opportunity for good. So it's saying in life, don't miss out on the best stuff in life because you're paralyzed by fear. Now, the next three verses are usually just using different metaphors to make the same point. Follow along with me. Verse two says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. <laughs> I like that last phrase. It reminds us Ecclesiastes is not a book of naive optimism. You see, some people think bad stuff is going to happen. Therefore, I'm scared to do anything. But Ecclesiastes says, look, bad stuff is definitely going to happen. So try a lot of stuff. You hear the difference there? And finances, we call this diversify your portfolio. If you came in, if you were in 2019 and you were deeply invested in restaurants and hotels, as I know some good people who were, this was a really hard year financially. But if it happens to be the case that you also bought a lot of stock in Purell and Zoom, this is a good year for you financially. You don't know where disaster is going to strike. But Ecclesiastes says, instead of thinking disaster might strike, therefore I won't try anything, just tell yourself disaster is going to strike, therefore I'm going to try a lot of stuff. The next couple of verses go a little further. Look at verses 3 and 4. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the ground, uh, to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Here's what it's saying. Stuff is going to happen. Rain is going to fall. If you plan an outdoor wedding, you know that you're at the mercy of the weather, right? Rain is going to fall. If some of you all have been a part of well-planned outreach events, as part of the gospel project in the summer, we're going to go share the gospel. We got it all planned. And then the rain comes down, right? So it's going to rain on your party sometimes in life. And trees are going to fall. Does that feel real today? <laughs> Two weeks ago, all the trees in Oklahoma City fell in that ice storm. Rain can happen. Trees can fall. But here's the thing. If you spend your whole life saying, oh, I don't want to try something because it might rain on my party or a tree might fall. You're never going to do anything. That's right. You don't know when it's going to happen. So it says, listen, just live every day to the fullest. It's not saying be reckless, but it's saying don't let fear paralyze you because you know life is filled with time and chance and risk and all these things. Just do good every day. Do as much good as you can. Try as many things as you can. Listen, the ancient Jews and Christians who interpreted this verse tended to especially apply it to this issue of generosity and love. Instead of hoarding for yourself, give freely. This is what Jesus says when he says, listen, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but instead give freely. Pour out your life to bless others. And as you give freely to others, you'll be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Everybody say, have courage. Have courage. Everybody say, do good. Do good. Now here's the thing about this. 
if we want to understand these verses in the light of the whole counsel of Scripture, we've got to recognize that the virtues of courage and prudence go together. So we've been talking about courage, but we also got to talk about prudence. The Bible talks about both. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God is with you. God is the God of life. So be courageous. But then listen to Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So here it's saying wise people, they think about what they're doing and they don't take foolish, unnecessary risks. They think, is this worth it? What are the risks? What are the benefits? And they don't take reckless risks. So if we're wise and mature, it means we embrace both prudence and courage. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas made an observation that I think is worthwhile for us to think about. He said, most people are born with a personality that inclines them to one of these virtues or the other. But very few people, if anybody, is born inclined to both prudence and courage. So here's what it means. If you're a person whose personality is more adventurous, you might kind of feel prideful and think, I'm very courageous, but everybody else is being really fearful. And Thomas Aquinas says, well, listen, maybe your adventurous personality does sometimes incline you to go do good, even at risk to yourself. But that same personality probably inclines you to do some stupid stuff that doesn't help anybody. Right? No, Chauncey laughed. Are you laughing because I'm that guy? I am that guy. So my wife will tell you. Um, But then there's the other side. If you're a person who tends to be more risk averse, you tend to be more cautious by nature. That means you might be more likely to make the prudent decision not to take unnecessary reckless risks. But it also means that you might fail to do some good thing that you should have done based on fear. That's right. So instead of any of us being self-righteous, we all need to be humble and admit we need the grace of God and we need each other. Amen. Amen. God surrounded me by people inclined towards prudence to help reign in my personality. But more importantly, the Holy Spirit of the living God wants to work in each of our hearts to make us people of wisdom who can look at life, can evaluate What are the risks? What are the benefits? What are the good things we can do? But also to make us people of courage that say, listen, I know in a fallen world, chaos and risk and even death are a part of the cycle of life. But I also know God. And because I know the living God, who is the God of life and joy and peace, I'm going to live to the full and entrust the future to God. That's absolutely right. Now, John Mark has been encouraging us in the midst of the uncertainty of life, to live, to embrace adventure, to choose life, choose joy, which means living with both prudence and with courage. Now, the reason why we can walk into an uncertain future with a sense of confidence and adventure is because God is a creative God who works in ways that we can't see to bring life in ways that we couldn't predict. Mm-hmm. That's what we see in the next couple of verses. Look with me at Ecclesiastes 11. Verses 5 and 6. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the, woman, in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. In an evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, both of these verses are pointing to the reality that God is at work bringing life in ways we will never see or understand. 
the way a baby is formed in the womb of a mother is a mystery to us. Mm-hmm. We know some things, but we definitely don't know everything. The way one seed germinates to produce a plant or a tree or a flower when another doesn't is a mystery to us. We can't perceive all the work that God is doing in the world. Even in the most natural processes, there are supernatural forces at work. God is the only one who can create life. But we have a part to play. A man and a woman have to come together for a child to be born. A seed has to be planted in the ground for germination to happen, and we can sow those seeds. So the sage says, keep sowing seeds. And when he says, in the morning and at evening, he's using a rhetorical device to say, all day. So all day, keep planting. Let's, last year's harvest may have been sparse, but don't stop now. Keep sowing. Who knows what's going to happen this year? Now, this has application in many areas of our lives. We could talk about sowing the seed of the gospel. Listen, in the last 10 years at Christ Community Church, we have tried to share the gospel with people in thousands of ways. We've tried adventure clubs and block parties and health fairs and talking with coworkers and inviting neighbors to church, neighborhood Bible studies and fish clubs, and we can go on and on and on and on and on. And dozens of those have worked. Did you hear what I said? I said, we've tried thousands of ways. And dozens of those have worked. Which means that many of them haven't worked. So if you've been sharing with coworkers or trying to reach family members that don't know, the, don't know Jesus and you're discouraged, what this passage is telling us is don't give up. Keep sowing. Keep praying. Keep growing in wisdom. Keep trying new things. Don't give up. We could look at maybe some of you trying to start mentoring youth or discipling somebody and it isn't going the way that you thought it would. Maybe you send a text and they leave you on scene. (laughs) They look at it, but they don't respond. They don't return your phone calls. Don't give up. I was thinking about this. I started thinking about two guys that you'll probably never meet this side of heaven. One guy's name is Dan. One guy's name is Bart. Dan was a guy who worked at our church when I was growing up and he had a massive youth group of me and my sister. But every week, he just kept giving us the word, giving us the word, giving us the word. Take it and feed and grow. Bart was in seminary, and every time he'd go to class, he'd come back and he'd just share something with us. I'm a little middle school, a little high schooler, but guess what? Those seeds grew. Mm-hmm. Many of us in this room might have come to know Christ when you were kids or when you were teenagers, and some adult kept sowing. They kept sowing. Another one came and kept sowing. And so now it's germinating and you're growing. Listen, if you're mentoring somebody, if you're discipling somebody, you're discouraged. What this passage is telling us is keep sowing, keep growing in wisdom, keep praying, keep sowing. Don't stop. It's going to be worth it. You never know when God's going to bless. We can talk about some of you have I've gotten burned in relationships. Yo, this is real. And maybe you're thinking, listen, I ain't got time for that. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody that was really close to you and, and it's hard for you to trust people. Hmm. Maybe you were really vulnerable and they weren't quite having that. You might say, man, forget that. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But let me tell you, God made us for community. Mm-hmm. He made us for deep relationship, which means keep pursuing deep relationships. Listen, you might get burned two more times. But in the process, you might find three or four or five or a dozen 
deep, lifelong, life-giving relationships that you're going to need to make it through. Mm-hmm. Don't stop sowing. Maybe you've gotten burned financially. Keep sowing. Keep sowing. One investment might turn south, but keep sowing. Keep diversifying. What this passage is telling us is God is a creative God who works in ways that we can't see to bring life that we can't predict. So keep sowing. Keep planting. Keep going. So in this text, we see powerfully at work two sets of themes that have been running throughout Ecclesiastes, often in tension with one another. One of them says, be joyful because God is good. The other one says, the world is really broken and messed up and everybody's going to die. Have you noticed that those two keep going together in Ecclesiastes? But here in the last few verses of this chapter, there's a beautiful passage in which we start seeing a synthesis of those two themes. And it's, it's telling us some really important stuff about how to live with wisdom. I would say verses 7 through 10 are moving us towards the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, which we're going to come back to. We're going to finish the book after Advent. It's moving us now towards the conclusion of Ecclesiastes to such a degree that I would venture to say, if you can understand verses 7 through 10, you can get the message of this book. Okay, so let's look at those verses together and walk through them. Verse 7 and 8 say this, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. I keep telling everybody this book teaches you to live with joy. So everybody say joy. Joy. But then listen to this. Second half of the same sentence. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So far in the book of Ecclesiastes, whenever we've seen the phrase under the sun, it has not tended to be a happy phrase. Actually, if I counted correctly this morning, that phrase has appeared 28 times and 22 of them were really negative. 22 times when it said under the sun, it said, listen, under the sun is evil. Under the sun is death. Under the sun is oppression. It's a way of saying this world has been badly broken by sin. And there's a lot of suffering on the planet. But now, here in verse 7, the sun has become a symbol, not of brokenness, but of life and joy. Which is a signal to us that the sage in Ecclesiastes is moving towards the resolution to his quest to understand what life is all about. And his message here is twofold. On one hand, life is good. Light is good. Anybody ever walk, walk out on a sunshiny day and think, ah, oh, that's good. That's what it's talking about. God is good. God's creation is good. Even when there's pain and drama in the world, God's creation is still good. So everybody say, life is good. Life is good. Therefore, it says, enjoy every day. Pursue joy. Embrace God's good gifts. That's one side. But on the other side, it reminds us here again, death is coming. And there will be days of darkness, which is to say, in your life, there's going to be days marked by grief. Pain, sin, evil. And instead of trying to ignore one of those sets of realities, hold them together. And the synthesis would look something like this. Don't let the fear of darkness 
rob you of the joy of light. Let me say that again. This is so important for us today. Don't let the fear of darkness rob you of the joy of light. But let the realities of sin and death make you all the more eager to enjoy the gifts of today with a humble heart while entrusting the future to God. See it come up again in verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. So we're talking to young people, which is most of this congregation. We've got a pretty young congregation. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You see, once again, the shift from joy to judgment. They're both being held together. What's happening here? The sage is talking to young people. I'm looking over here at some young people that came with me. Young people, can I get your attention in your heart for just a second? The Bible's telling you some important stuff, which I think the more experienced member of this congregation would confirm for you. And it's telling you this. Young people, enjoy life. God wants you to live with all the energy that he's given you. God loves you. He wants you to live with joy. God is love. God is joy. So you should live with joy. And love. But at the same time, remember, which is one of the key words. Everybody say, remember. Remember. Remember that God is also the God of truth and justice. Which means God holds us accountable for our choices. While we're living with joy and vigor and energy and love, we need to learn to live within the boundaries of God's good word, which guards us against folly and evil. In other words, live with joy, live with vigor, but also. Fear God and obey His commandments. Remember both of those truths. Finally, verse 10 says this. Remove vexation from your heart. What does that mean? It means probably all of us came to church stressed out today. I won't make you raise your hand to confess. But I would guess at least 95% of us came to church stressed out today. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that. But it is saying you have the permission from God's word to relax. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, relax. You may be saying, how could I possibly relax with all that's going on in the world? Well, this is what it's saying. The the world is a mess. The world's filled with sin and we're all going to die. But you don't have to stress about it because God is the God of life. God is the God of salvation. God is the God of forgiveness, the God of resurrection. So in the name of Jesus, it's saying, let's say it one more time. Everybody say, relax. Relax. Trust the Lord. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. That word pain is actually the word raw, which has been translated as evil twice in the last couple chapters. And what I think it's saying is this. Don't let the evils of life rob you of your joy in God. And maybe another level, don't let evil take root in your heart in a way that would rob you of the joy of God. The last phrase of the verse says this. For youth and the dawn of life are Vanity. And I got to say, vanity is a bad translation here. This is that word hevel. Chauncey was talking about earlier. Everybody say hevel. Hevel. Hevel means vapor. Hevel, hevel means mist. And here what it's saying is youth is short. Vapor. I mean, you ever sprayed one of those spray bottles when you're hot and you spray, spray yourself and the mist comes out and it's there for a few seconds and it's gone. Vapor is fleeting. So what it's saying is this. You don't know how much time you have on the earth. There's a lot about your future that you can't predict or control, but God already knows the future and he's already got you in his hands. He's already with you in that future. So leave the future to God. 
And with whatever opportunities that you have today, choose joy, choose love, choose generosity, live life to the fullest because you know that God is good. So if we take these verses and put them together, basically what it's saying is this. Ecclesiastes is telling us we need to learn to live within the tension of creation and fall. Live within the tension of the fact that God is good and the world is marked by sin. Live within the tension of uncertainty and hope. If we do that, we'll be able to live with wisdom in a way that takes into account the brokenness of the world, but frees us to live with joy and hope and love, even in a broken world. The way we live in this tension of hope and uncertainty John Mark's talking about is by being people of the cross and the resurrection. At the cross, we learn to embrace God in the midst of the uncertainty. Because at the cross, we see God plunging into the chaos and evil and sin to bring peace and joy and life. At the cross, it looks like all of Jesus' work, his teaching, his healing, his miracles, his talk of the kingdom... Like, all that work is hevel. It's smoke, it's vapor, it's meaningless. At the cross, it looks like that. A bloody Jewish man dying. A criminal's death. Some would say, ah, well, another good man dead. That's what it looked like. But family, at the cross, what we know is that the creator of life gave up his life. So you and me, who were slaves to the uncertainty of death, might exchange that uncertainty for the certainty of life. Amen. We know this because of the resurrection. At the resurrection of Christ, Jesus declared once and for all that death doesn't have the last word. Amen. Jesus does. If you've trusted in Christ, death is no longer uncertain because of the resurrection. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Jesus is alive. So we have the guarantee that if we die in Christ, we will live. Amen? Amen. Now this doesn't take all the uncertainty out of life, but we don't have to fear the uncertainty. We can live full, bold, meaningful, courageous lives of purpose and love. We can embrace Life and joy and fun. We can be cheerful even when life is challenging. We can love audaciously. We can pursue justice tenaciously. We can hope in the face of of despair. Why? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Because we have a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because we don't know how or what or when he's going to bless. What we do know is that God can take our little effort and he can move mountains. That's right. So people of God family, let's commit ourselves to being a people of wisdom and courage and generosity and love and purpose and diligence and joy. Because in Christ, we have nothing to fear and we have nothing to lose. We want to go to the Lord's table. 
And at the Lord's table, we see Jesus giving himself to us in love. Greater love has no one in this than that a man lay down his life for his friends. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember Jesus. Let's ask him to search us and to cleanse us. Let's commit ourselves to him again. And let's receive him as the source of our love, as the strength of our love, and as the end of our love. Because he's worth it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that in the midst of the uncertainty, you are the God of certainty. That we can have confidence in you. Thank you that in the shadow of death, we can walk without fear because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And you're the God of life. As we come now to the table, God, we pray you would sustain us on the journey. As we come together to the table, would we link arms to do it together, to engage in community, to be vulnerable with one another, to confess sin to one another, to be strengthened by one another. God, we trust in you. We depend on you. We're sustained by you. We love you. In Jesus' name.